0: And welcome to the Over Under Achievers, the only podcast in the world that talks about sports and gambling. I'm one of your hosts, Knox McCoy. And join me as always. It is nobody because it's just your boy today. It's just me. Uh, Jason is out on a family vacation. Um, so he hope you rejoining us later this month. And then honestly, you know, I'd love to uh, touch base with Andre Three Stacks um, and get him to join us for State of the Union on the SEC now that the Tennessee volunteers have done the uh, unthinkable, but um, coming to you today, uh, even though it's a solo pod, we're going to depart from the form a little bit uh, instead of over and unders. I'm going to do a stardom, a sit em, and a cut em. Uh breakdown of just like some sports news and pop culture, Um, But I hope everybody's doing well. You know, it's uh, I'm I'm personally I'm in a vest right now. It's vest weather. This is where I'm at the height of my powers. Uh, So if you've been sensing something in the southeast that's gathering strength, um, it's me. It is actually me. I'm I'm gathering um, momentum and strength and courage and uh, resistance. And integrity. Honestly, I'm fulfilling bets, like I did uh, last week for the podcast. I'm uh, uh, maintaining abstinence from betting on the NFL, so uh, I'm just I'm in a good place, and I hope you're similarly in a, in a good place. So we'll we'll go ahead and get to it, and uh, I'm gonna start with the stardom section. So these are the things moving in the right direction, and I, I already mentioned the Tennessee Volunteers, so I'm gonna go ahead and uh, uh, segue with them. And I'm going to start the direction of their football program, the Tennessee Volunteers, um, a collection of words and phrases grouped together that I never thought I would say. So I just want to say uh, I want to give me a culpa um, and just say how impressed I am because I never in a million years, I think uh, I'm not a very consistent person. Um, I like to. I'm a, I'm a whim baby. You know, I just go like where the whims go. And I feel something one day, and I feel the exact opposite the next day. I don't get burdened by dogma. Okay, I just let it rip. But one of the things I have been super consistent on is that I just didn't think Josh Heupel was the right hire. I didn't think Tennessee was training in the right direction, and I was completely uh, and exuberantly wrong. And I think the um, obviously the the peak of the wrongness came this weekend when uh, they beat the Alabama Crimson side at home. Now, is this a good Alabama team? I don't know. You know, already I'm seeing articles on The Athletic that saying, like, has Alabama lost their edge? Is Nick Saban washed up? Stuff like that. Maybe it is. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But I think the fact that they pulled off the W, I don't think we can look at this as just a, this was a game, like an isolated analytical game where they came out on top. There was a lot that went into it, obviously. There are years of, of losing and losing ugly that they had to overcome. Uh, so despite man, you know, I've seen a lot of people critiquing some of the officiating. I didn't think it was that bad. I thought Alabama was just really sloppy. They did this with Texas, too. I think they did this with Texas A&M. They're a sloppy team. So regardless, I'm not here to talk about Alabama. I want to talk about Tennessee. And I just um, – one of the big uh, one of the big criticisms of Tennessee in the post-Fulmer years was that they really didn't have um, an identity. They were chasing – um, either being like a uh, a northern Alabama or some kind of Saban adjacent team, and the hire of Josh Heupel, who again I just I didn't I didn't find him very interesting at Oklahoma, and then I also didn't find him interesting um, at his other head coaching stop. I think it was UCF. Um, uh, but th- for the the way they've been able to parlay his offensive sensibility and have a personality, have a strategy and a direction that sometimes it doesn't work well because you're going so fast, but when it works. It works well, and it's beautiful, and it's fun to watch. I think that was the major criticism with the uh, Jeremy Pruitt years or the Derek Dooley years or even the uh, – honestly, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. Um, it's brick-by-brick brick guy, and he just looked like a Minecraft character or whatever his name was, um, Butch, Butch Jones. It, there's just no imagination. There's no – uh, there's nothing interesting about the program, no, nothing that sets it apart. And I think even though, uh, Butch Jones, I feel like he recruited capably, there's nothing for a recruit to get excited about. And now that we're talking about the recruiting wars and the disparity of where you're going and why you're going to those places, it's tough to get someone to Knoxville. But if you go knowing, hey, you're going to play a really wide-open form of offense, that's compelling in its own right. So um, I'm just I'm, – I'm so impressed with them. I also want to start um, Josh Heupel's agent because – God only knows what he's cooking up. God only knows what that person is cooking up and whiteboarding and preparing because the more you watch Oklahoma kind of tailspin a little bit and Brent Venables and it's like, what's what's happening here? Is he good? Is he a guy? Why doesn't he have an upper lip? Stuff like that. Questions that we all need to be asking, the upper lip especially. Um, Josh Hyper's is just getting more and more viable. So I cannot wait to see that contract extension, and I would lock him down, and I would make it to where if he leaves to go to Oklahoma, he has to cut off an appendage. Like it has to be a, a leg or an arm. And it's not monetary, right? Because I think this was a failure Mike Hamilton had with Lane Kiffin where he let him leave for USC, uh, which is w- w- under con- contractual terms that were um, all too reasonable, emphatically reasonable in their unreasonability. I would make it to where Josh Heupel is like, you have to lose an eye, you have to lose a child or an appendage. It's, just, it's not even monetary, you just have to give up something substantial. Like we want a literal pound of flesh for you to be able to get out of here, um, such is his swagger and his momentum for uh, the Tennessee program. You know, speaking of college football programs, we'll stay here. I'm going to also say, you know, Tennessee's number three. Are they the third best team in the country? I don't know, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm officially not talking about Tennessee football because I don't have a handle. Um, I'm impressed with them. Uh, and let me let me say this because in our last episode, uh, Jason was correct in his assessment of the Tennessee game. I was incorrect. Um, I think my thought was Alabama's going to slow the pace down. Alabama is going to make this into, um, uh, like a, like a rock fight and they're going to be able to score at will because their offense is that good and Tennessee's defense is dodgy, but it actually was the exact opposite. So all of my, um, assumptions about Tennessee coming in this year, that people will have tape on them, so they won't be as uh, good, that they won't be able to pr- protect Hendon Hooker, um, uh, that they'll, th- there will be some regression. All of that is proven incorrect. So I really just don't understand how to assess them. And I think broadly, I don't really understand how to assess the SEC right now. So, um, But that's fortunate because, the to me, the best team in the country isn't in the SEC. I think it's Ohio State. I think their offense, I don't think we're talking enough about how devastating their offense is, how... Um, and I think they're flying a little bit under the radar for being as merciless. Honestly, like, watching them, and maybe it's a factor of the Big Ten, maybe it's just, I think it's just how they play offense. Watching them is like, you'd see the old, the old World War II uh, uh, photos of planes, like bombers, dropping, like, dozens and dozens of missiles out of the bottom of their uh, airplanes. I, I think I just, like, capably described warfare stuff really well. That's what it feels like. It feels like Ohio State's offense is, like, a thousand – bombers dropping a thousand bombs each on their opponent and there's just no hope there is absolutely no hope and i understand i'm saying this right before they play iowa and there's a good chance that iowa tricks them into having uh, like a big 10 rock fight which is just like a dull rock and uh, a broken beer bottle in an alleyway and maybe they get upset this week but i i think they are flying a little bit on the radar because i don't know that they're quite as prolific as Uh, the Joe Burrow LSU year, and I guess the Mac Jones Alabama year, which those were ridiculous years unto themselves. But when it's all said and done, Ohio State might be there. But I just, they scare the life out of me. And they do feel like, uh, man, almost like Tennessee on a little bit of super serum, um, because their defense is fine, good enough. um, But I think their offense is next level. And, you know, Look, uh, C.J. Stroud. I just don't think if if he played, it's. I mean, and it feels crazy to say this because I think if he played at a different school, he'd be getting a lot more fanfare. But it's Ohio State, so that's a premier program. So I don't know. I think it's just the the Southern bias right now of uh, college football and how everything runs to the South first, and then we get to the other places. Um, I don't know, and I think a lot of this depends on how he plays Michigan too. You know how we uh, examine C.J. Stroud, but beyond being the overall number one uh, pick in next year's draft, I think he's having a great year. Their offense is having a great year, and I just don't know. I don't know who stops them. And it's such a new, weird, strange world to consider the college football playoff with a really um, mortally wounded Alabama and trying to understand how things will play out. Like, will a... Clemson with a very compromised offense, um, but a really impressive defense and a light schedule in the ACC. Will they be able to sneak into the playoff and get into the, ch- the title game? I wouldn't have thought so, but now everything seems pretty realistic. And, you know, the elephant in the room is uh the Georgia Bulldogs, obviously the defending champions. I I think their defense is good. It's not like last year, which that's not a reasonable to ask for or that's not a reasonable thing to expect it to be as good as last year. I think their offense is fine. I don't like the guys they have on the outside. I don't think they stretch the field well. I think they um you know they have fifteen really good tight ends, but reasonably you can only play three, and even that's a stretch. So I just uh, it, it's it's uh, I'm enjoying the wide openness of this college football season so much so that I even I guess it was in the third quarter of the Tennessee Alabama game I put a substantial bet on Hendon Hooker. Uh, for the Heisman, uh, just understanding if they won, his uh, odds were probably going to skyrocket. And even within that bet, and then how the end of the game played out, I think it dropped uh, a significant amount of money. So I'm gonna I'm starting that for myself. The hand and hooker Heisman odds. Um, he's like uh, the funny thing about him is he, I think he's 25, but he f- plays like a 32 year old. Like he plays like a seasoned vet. Uh, there's like some. Um, like, more capable, more competent Ryan Fitzpatrick vibes with him. But uh, he is just 25, but he plays like such a veteran. I can see him being in New York. And, uh, you know, do I think I'm going to win that bet? I don't know. Maybe. I think it's C- still C.J. Stroud's to lose. But um, if if for some reason they could knock off Georgia, then I don't see how Henn and Hooker doesn't win the Heisman. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm also going to start uh, – I'm going to start Brian Harson And this is controversial, I know, because he's the coach of Auburn. Um, he survived a coup attempt last off season. Which in college football, especially at Auburn, if you survive a coup attempt, what's the point of surviving a coup attempt? You know, if the coup is happening, just let yourself die and, like, collect your buyout and, like, walk out the door. But to be wounded and marked for death for another year, for like just for the off season at Auburn, I, like, is that – I don't know. That just, that's not even purgatory. That's just straight up hell. Um, but I want to start him because he's definitely getting fired. We understand this. We know this. Their offense – has been okay. So the Auburn offense has been so offensive, not in like a statistically capable way, but in a um, aesthetically unpalatable way, that he's definitely get f- getting fired um, at the end of the season. Which, if you look at his contract, he uh, I think the way it's written up, he's due 70% of his um, uh, due annual salary, which runs until 2026, which means he's gonna walk away this December with a uh, check for a cool 15 million. And that's not bad. You know, as bad as he was in the SEC um, and as bad as he was with taking his uh, West Coast sensibility into the heart of the uh, Southeast to walk away with $15 for his troubles and probably the head coaching job at Arizona State or somewhere else where I think he'll actually do a really good job, that's not bad. You know, that's not bad. Um, And then lastly, I want to start salad dressing vitality. You know, I think as a culture, as a species, as a society, we don't talk enough about salad dressing and the importance of salad dressing, honestly, honestly. I do feel like we've gotten a little lazy with salad dressings. I feel like we've accepted ranch, um, some Thousand Island, we've done some Italian dressings, and then we've thrown in some uh, balsamic vinaigrettes and act like, you know, uh, we've solved the riddle of salad dressings and we can move on. When honestly, I'm here to tell you I think there's a lot of room uh, in the uh, salad dressing vertical for innovation and invention. And I'm I'm, I'm I'm out here in the salad dressing streets. I'm always looking for the spiciest option I can get. And uh, they're failing me. One time there's a place in Birmingham, and they had, like, a buffalo sauce-based salad dressing, and it was incredible. But you know what? The pandemic got them. When we got back from the pandemic and I went to place an order for lunch, they were gone, and it made me very sad. And I just... I'm a little frustrated by this. So I did appreciate the narrative that Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis' nanny, and this is what this is uh, what all this is coming from, the narrative that, that the nanny put out that um, a big portion of the problems between Jason Sudeikis and Olivia Wilde were, number one, that she was smashing Harry Styles. That's always going to be number one, okay? But like a close second, much closer than probably we realized, was the fact that she used her special salad dressing and her speci- special special salad-making skills, Um for Harry Styles, so and again, if you work out how uh, how I don't I don't know what the proper word is, how infuriating this would be to watch your wife make like her specialty item. Uh, it would be like for for Ashley to make her broccoli salad. That is my favorite thing, literally my favorite thing that she makes. To watch her make that and then take that to another man that is not me and that she is not married. Uh, two, I would also be very frustrated and I would also reportedly, allegedly lay underneath her car because I don't know, I'm out of moves at that point and I don't know what else to do. So I'm just, I'm not happy that they're, um, I don't even know if they're married If they were just like partners or whatever. I'm not a fan of divorce. I'm always rooting for marriage. I don't even know if they were married, so I don't know if that counts. But what what I'm saying is, I'm glad we're bringing salad dressing appreciation to the top of the conversation because I do think it merits more consideration and more innovation. And if Olivia Wilde is the person to do that, well, heck, I guess I'm okay with that too. All right, let's go to Sittims. uh, from the sports. Uh, News world and well, I've got a, a TV show uh, cinema I've got here as well. But these are these are ones you don't want to you don't want to cut them, you don't want to start them. You just want to let them chill out a little bit. And first up, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, I have I do have a significant Stetson Bennett Heisman future bet that's not looking great, Bob, because um, look, you know, cards on the table. I was a prisoner of the moment. I watched Georgia and Oregon. And I was like, this is the greatest college football team of all time. And this is the greatest college quarterback of all time. How's this guy not going to win the Heisman? Because he's going to be the best player on the best team and, you know, uh, use the quadratic equation and you've got a Heisman winner bet. And then he's just been pedestrian. He's just been fine. Not great. Not terrible. Not a Heisman contender. But I'm just looking to cash that thing out because it was a significant amount of money that I don't usually put on future bets. But um, I'm just going to need him to pick it up a little bit. So... You know, I think there's some opportunities down the road if he really boat races some people and gets some momentum. Um, I do think, uh, you know, Bryce Young was the was the guy probably lurking along with C.J. Stroud, and I don't think it's going to happen for Bryce Young just because. Um, I think he's going to get a little bit more dinged up. Obviously, got the L to Tennessee, and it's a repeat, so that's hard to do anyway. So uh, I'm going to ride with Hendon Hooker, uh, and I'm just going to count my Stitz and Bennett as a loss, and maybe hope to count it out or, uh, to cash it out at some point. Uh, and along with that, I'm going to sit. My I think I'm officially ready to do this. So um, you know, I, uh, some people might uh, quibble with this and be like, "No, no, you're doing it too early. You're like you're overreacting." But I don't think I am. I think I'm going to uh, sit my Tom Brady MVP future bet that I placed this summer. Um, It's also double not looking great, Bob, because I don't know if everyone's paying attention, but um – Disp- forget all the off-the-field stuff. He's not playing great. The Bucks are not playing great. And, you know, this was a conversation Jason and Andre and myself had that we were shorting the Bucks. We didn't think they would be as good as Vegas thought they would be. We thought they'd get out to an underwhelming start, and then there were some offensive line issues. So that's all true and fair and uh, on the field, and we can analyze that and see it. Um, uh, the things I didn't anticipate was probably getting a divorce because he can't quit football. Um making weird statements comparing football to the military, um, you know, uh, breaking tablets, um, kicking Grady Jarrett and then making Grady Jarrett get the roughing the passer penalty. It's just a weird year. It feels like we're uh, Tom Brady is in the um, uh, in the man, like the brick killed a man, you know, like when it was like, wow, uh, things escalated quickly. That's where it feels like we are with Tom Brady of just like, you know, Tom Brady killed a guy. Tom Brady killed a guy with an alligator uh, in Florida like this week. I wouldn't be stunned. There's literally anything you could say at this point where I would be like, oh, wow, so Tom Brady's going on an Instagram live with Kanye West? I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea, but it's probably happening. There's just – there's no point. There's nothing you can say that would surprise me with Tom Brady at this point, and that's not a good thing, and it's definitely not a good thing for my future MVP bet, so I'm going to also look to cash that out. Um, Let's stay in the NFL for a second, and this is uh, kind of breaking-ish news. Last night, uh, the 49ers, San Francisco 49ers, traded for um, uh, noted injury list um, denizen Christian McCaffrey. Uh, so they uh, the Niners sent, I think it was second, third, and fourth round picks to the Panthers in 2023 and then another like a later pick in 2024 Um, and this is spicy because in the NFL we don't really get uh, a lot of good trades and uh, we especially don't get trades uh, involving a fantasy uh, team mainstay like Christian McCaffrey but the problem is man I, I just I really didn't like this trade because number one I think that between Christian McCaffrey and Trey Lance now the 49ers have lost all their draft assets, they have traded them away um, for two people. Trey Lance, who I think in um the last over the last like 20 years he's attempted four passes in the NFL, which isn't good um and I don't that doesn't seem like a really good track record for him to being a starter especially that he didn't play that much in college. Uh, and also Christian McCaffrey he's the guy who's so muscly that like he'll pull his like left sub hamstring muscle just by like sitting weird on a couch. So I just I, I don't like this for the 49ers I feel like this is a big swing and I feel like secretly, some people have talked a little bit about this, that the 49ers, they always seem to have injury problems. And it's because they gravitate towards players who um, their value is a little bit diminished because they have injury problems. So um, what's the best avi- ability availability? The 49ers tend to gravitate towards those players who are available or can be drafted where they get them because they tend to be injured. And I don't see how Christian McCaffrey is going to be any different. I don't think there's any chance in the world that we look up and Christian McCaffrey is uh, completely healthy and available deep into the playoffs it's just not how he plays the game it's not how the 49ers play the game it's not how NFL plays any game because everybody's getting injured at all points right now so I hate to trade so hard for the 49ers and then the last thing I want to sit is um This is Survivor and this is um, specific to this week's episode. So if you haven't caught up, I would urge you to, I don't know, maybe skip ahead two to three minutes. Uh, And uh, this is in regards to the immunity challenge where the Blue Tribe lost. And specifically they lost because Ryan, um, the guy probably, I don't know, the, uh, the biggest physical threat on the Blue Tribe and uh, he, one of the more likable guys, I would say, just because of his backstory. Seems to be genuinely nice and decent to his tribe mates. Um, it involved a challenge where he rolled a ball like up a ramp, and he had to settle the ball um, on top of the ramp. And he had to do this with three different balls. I'm trying not to say balls that much, just because I know the connotation, but like that's literally what it is. So we'll call it spheres. So he has to roll three spheres, and they have to sit there still, and that's how you win. Like you finish the challenge, and whoever of the three tribes the two finish first, they get the uh, reward and the other one goes to uh, tribal council. Well, the blue tribe ended up going to tribal council. And in retrospect, Ryan tells us, uh, uh, and the pivotal moment is, The last ball Ryan – the last sphere – I'm sorry, Ryan has, he rolls it up, and it not only doesn't stay up there, but it hits the other two spheres and knocks them down the ramp. I don't know if this is clear how I'm explaining this. I don't know if you understand this, but if you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Basically, he started back from zero as the last tribe was wrapping up. So um, it was his fault, right? He screwed it up. He physically screwed up and made them have to go to tribal council. And he did the move where, in retrospect, after – the challenge he was like hey you know what remember when i did that stupid thing with that sphere and i knocked the other two spheres off the plateau and i made it so we lost i actually did that on purpose i meant to do that because we need to trim some of the fat even though they would just gone to tribal council i believe the week before um and he thinks now they lead to need to lose the majority numbers and be equivalent to uh, the second, uh, I guess the yellow tribe in terms of number strength. Uh, I just, I want to sit this because I think he's a good guy. Um, I think he's got a narrative in his head about how the game is going. And then um, uh, there's what's actually going on is completely different. And we saw that, I guess, at the tribal vote um, when he wasn't on the right side of it. But uh, as a, as a reminder and as a warning to anybody going on Survivor, Uh, Don't ever throw a challenge, but if you are going to throw a challenge, um, you have to uh, foreshadow it. You have to tell us before. You have to tell the producers, hey, here's what I'm thinking we need to do so that when you pull it off, it makes sense. Um, it's such a guy thing to do the, actually, I failed on purpose. Actually, my failure had a master plan attached to it. So what you saw as physical failure was actually intellectual genius. Um, I, I think the, it blew up in Ryan's face, and I just would like to say, we're going to sit you for now. We're going to sit you for now, Ryan, um, and maybe later like uh, the season we can uh, move you back to starting status. Shit. All right, we're going to wrap up here with our cut-ems. Uh, this is uh, uh, people, things, uh, entities that we want to cut for this week just because it's not going great. And I will start off with Draymond Green, um, not because of his basketball playing, even though um, he is turning into an offensive liability. Uh, but I'm going to cut him for it's a two-parter. Number one, because a couple weeks back when he sucker punched jo- uh, Jordan Poole, and I um, uh, he did the thing where he wasn't, like, super sorry about it until the video came out. And then when the video got leaked, then it was like, oh, no. Like, it looked really bad. It was a really, really bad look. And Draymond Green, honestly, has kind of sucked for a while, uh, both professionally and, like, just as a as a human because he is uh, – I want to say he's he's the kind of the perfect distillation of the worst kind of modern athlete who is entitled – to their platform, um, but feels like he should be above accountability and criticism. So he wants to be a professional athlete, but he doesn't want to be criticized. He wants to be a part of the media landscape, but he doesn't want to be criticized for that. And I understand that because who, as a professional athlete, especially in basketball, uh, when it's so focused on you and your um, individuality and your personality, who in your life is going to speak truth to you and like be like, hey, actually, that sucked probably nobody, and I understand that. But he is just the worst version of I can dish out, but I cannot take it. And any kind of criticism he turns into something more malevolent than, hey, I don't know, maybe you should be able to hit a three-pointer uh, better than the percentage mark that you're hitting right now. But the real reason for the cut is the uh, we got it this week as the NBA uh, season tipped off we got the Draymond Green apology documentary on TNT, which I'm assuming was done in part because he, I I think he has an active contract with TNT uh, uh, for his post-basketball career where he can come on and be a personality. Um, But it just felt like a really weird PR spin zone of, actually, I'm going to be the empathetic figure in this situation where I sucker punched a teammate um, and had to be suspended for it. I... I didn't like it. It wasn't a good look. It would be like if uh, I punched Jason Waterfalls in the face and then um, the next day I came out with an episode talking about my side of the story and why I was sorry about it. But, you know, think guys are going to be guys and stuff like that. It was, I didn't like it. It was a tough look. And uh, it's a tough look for someone who's already had a career full of tough looks, most notably when uh, he was so passionate about kicking LeBron James uh, in the taint that it cost his team literally a championship because he couldn't contain himself. I just, man, there's a joke there contained, but I didn't make it. But, you know, just know that I knew I didn't make it, but I did reference it. So I feel like we got the joy of it, but we also got the accountability of me not making the joke in the moment. So I think that's important. Um, I'm also going to cut the uh, Black Adam uh, uh, cinematic performance because, I, you know, we did a – I guess, I don't know if it was a uh, SMK episode, but we did a preview episode of like uh, some of the stuff coming out. Maybe it was the Fall Movie Guide where I uh, I talked about Black Adam and how it was going to be a big deal in uh, October. Um, but I, I think I said the big deal isn't going to be, that's going to be good. It's just going to make a lot of money. I don't even know if it's going to make a lot of money, to be honest with you. It is going to take up a lot of pop cultural conversation because it is a DC uh, superhero movie and it is with Dwayne and Rock Johnson. But it is... Is allegedly very bad. The uh, reviews are, the critical reviews are not good. The audience reviews are overwhelmingly positive, which I don't think we can trust. I think it's at 88 right now uh, on the audience, Rotten Tomatoes, and I want to say it's in the low 40s for the critics. Uh, I found a San Francisco Chronicle review, which tends to be, I, uh, I'm not going to say even handed, but I tend to agree somewhat with their reviews. And uh, their review starts out with this quote, Black Adam does not deserve a bad review. A bad movie review would be too kind. It would imply that Black Adam is an actual movie. It is not. And then later on, it goes to uh, say, uh, goes on to say that it's the worst movie of the year, which is tough. That's not what you want to do, and especially in October. You know, sometimes when they call movie worst movie of the year in February, you're like, well, I got time. You know, there can be other worst movies, but by the time you get to October you know, it's, uh, the landscape of movies is pretty full at that point. So, uh, it doesn't look good. It didn't look good. I don't think, uh, the rock is going to be an interesting actor un- until he allows himself to take some risks and be some kind of anti-hero characters or not have full, um, ownership and authorship and control over what his characters do. Uh, so uh, I mean, it's, it's tough for DC. I think their, uh, studio head has just been ousted. Um, I don't know if it was in advance of this or just because of this, or if this was used to do that, but, Yet again, D.C. shows us that they're just not going to tell interesting stories uh, at all. Uh, I also want to cut, um, you know, speaking of, like, bad watches, I'm going to gonna cut the NFL watchability right now. The NFL games right now are a tough hang. They are not interesting to watch. I think some of it comes down to the defensive trend of late, which has reacted to the glut of really great young quarterbacks with we're going to um, go two high safeties, And we're going to make you dink and dunk your way down the field, kind of like how Tom Brady used to make his money with like uh, 12 play drives, you know, seven yard throws, stuff like that. We're going to make everybody do this. And uh, it's especially frustrating for, you know, guys like Justin Herbert and Pat Mahomes and uh, like a Joe Burrow, but it's also a very unpalatable TV product. And I think a part of this is because the NFL put the Denver Broncos into primetime. It feels like of, I don't know what week of the NFL season we're on, like six or something. It feels like they've been on 22 times uh, in the last six weeks on uh, primetime TV. So we have had to watch Russell Wilson be terrible, and we had to watch uh, Coach uh, Nathaniel Hackett like screw up in game um, uh, situations. So it's not, but even like when it's Eagles Cowboys. You know, part of it is uh, a lot of starting quarterback injuries, and when you have a backup quarterback, it's just not fun to watch. But I don't know. It's just all the unders are hitting right now, which is great for gambling. If you were doing that, I'm not doing that. I'm remaining abstinent because it's just a sucker. Uh, it's a sucker bet to bet on the NFL right now. Um, but it's just not a lot of fun to watch. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's something larger than that or if it's really just about points. And I'm just a simple guy um, uh, in, a, in a simple world. And I just like to see offenses go boom and points get scored. But it is not fun to watch right now. Uh, And then lastly, I want to cut... I'm going to go ahead and cut Cliff Kingsbury because when... And this is from last night as well, Thursday uh, uh, of uh, the week of October... I guess it was October 20th. The Cardinals played the Saints and ended up beating the Saints. And uh, there's a viral clip of Kyler Murray coming off the field telling Cliff Kingsbury to calm the F down repeatedly. And I just... It's, it's, it's just tough to get told that on TV, especially from a subordinate. A subordinate who's actually more important than you, and I don't know how Cliff Kingsbury comes back from that because uh, Kyler and he are already on thin ice, and Kyler's already on thin ice because he evidently would rather play video games than like prepare for football, but um, the ownership rewarded him with like, a almost fully guaranteed contract. Anyway, so uh, there's no win here for Cliff Kingsbury, and I think it's just probably lining up where eventually he moves on either in the offseason or later this year uh, and coaches a college program like he should. And Kyler Murray goes on to make another uh, NFL head coach absolutely miserable, um, which he is destined to for the rest of his career. Um, Okay, that is it for this week's episode. Again, Um, We're hoping Jason is having a big old time on his family vacation. We're hoping Andre Three Sacks is preparing answers for us so we can understand what's going on with Georgia and what's going on with the SEC. Um, But, again, thank you all so much for listening, for being here, uh, for supporting us, for telling people about the show. That's the best way to help us out. Uh, Again, we'll be back next week with Jason and hopefully Andre either next week or a week after that. Uh, As always, I'm Knox. Yeah, boy. We'll see you next time bap bap bap